This is Live Wired in Calgary. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Live Wired in Calgary. I'm your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This show is done in partnership with the wonderful folks at CJSW 90.9 FM and recorded in studio at the University of Calgary on traditional Treaty 7 land. This month, I'll also point out that it's being recorded on National Indigenous Peoples Day during Aboriginal Awareness Week in Calgary, which ran from June 17th to 22nd. We've got a lot on tap this month, including a segment on the rise of food at the Calgary Stampede. The greatest outdoor show on earth is coming up July 5th, and I figured we should explore a little bit more behind how these crazy foods have become such a staple at the Calgary Stampede. We will talk with James Radke from the Calgary Stampede a little bit later. Sylvia Pical, editor-in-chief of New Forum magazine, will join me in studio to talk about the magazine's launch and why she thinks feminism is a bad word. Ooh, you got to stick around for that one. We'll catch up on a few City Hall items as they attempt to hatch it away at the budget to find $60 million in savings as a part of an aid package for Calgary businesses. We have all that and on your radar in this month's edition of Live Wired in Calgary. Check Stick out around. Live Wire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at LiveWire Calgary, on Instagram at LiveWire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. I'm now here with Sylvia Pical. She is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of New Form, which is a new magazine that is kind of uh, taken its birth from an old magazine that, that was once in Calgary. Uh, it is a feminist magazine, and we will get into that, Sylvia. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. This is actually my first uh, radio appearance. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> you know, it was only about a year ago that uh, I was doing my first radio stuff too. So uh, really great to have you. Tell me a little bit about New Forum magazine and uh, and where the idea came from. Yeah, so uh, in Calgary, back in 1988, there was a magazine started called Forum and it was published until 2002, and it was published by the Calgary Women's Writing Project. And it was co-founded by Vivian Hansen, who is a Calgary writer and poet. And basically, it provided an opportunity for women to develop writing skills and communication skills. And they published everything. They published artwork, poetry, short stories. And they had uh, Q&As with researchers and activists in the community and everybody, the writers. And it was a really grassroots feminist magazine. And they did a lot for the community as well. They raised money for shelters that provided refuge for women fleeing family violence. And it had this really amazing kind of um, the, the breadth of topics that it covered. So it covered everything from uh, how menopause and aging is viewed in society to uh, someone's journey to social activism. I think if you look at the back issues, it's so fascinating because all, all of the issues that they reported on are still really relevant today. So basically how this uh, how this led to New Forum 
is Vivian Hansen found a bunch, like basically all the back issues in her closet while cleaning out her house. <laughs> and she brought them to Lisa Murphy Lamb, who's the director of Loft 112, which is a creative hive for uh, writers and artists in Calgary. And she, you know, she looked at Lisa and she said, what should we do with these? Should we do something with them? Should I recycle them? And uh, Lisa said, oh, good Lord, no, don't recycle them. We're, we'll do something with them. And she had the idea of a festival that celebrates the Spirit of Forum. And she brought in uh, several different people in the Calgary community who were friends of Loft 112 and myself included. And I took a look through the back issues and I said, wow, like we, we need to bring this back. We need to revive the magazine. And uh, she brought in a local artist, Stacey Wallachow, who did our logo and who does the cover art of our magazine. And we found a designer and we have several local volunteers who helped with the festival side. And basically in like five months, it all came together. <laughs> and and so what, what was it about seeing those magazines that inspired you to take on something like this? I think for me, it was really the bravery of the writers in um, what they wrote about and what they shared. And also for me, it was just looking at it and seeing how little has changed. We're still dealing with a lot of the same issues that these women wrote about. Um, menopause and aging, for example, is still negatively viewed in society. And social justice is really important still. <laughs> so, And uh, I think it's it's just one of those things where it's, you know, feminism is still relevant today. And will it be relevant in 50 years? I hope not. But today it still is. So you'd mentioned that you put it together in five months. Basically, yeah. <laughs> kind of take me through that process. Like, I mean, it you must have been going like Mach 5 with your hair on fire. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. So Loft 112 is basically, it does probably about 50 events a month. Really affordable event space for anyone in the creative community to use. And the only time that they had available for a full month of programming was in June of this year. Otherwise, we'd be looking at, I think it was September 2020 or something like that. So we all kind of decided, let's just do it. And it was pretty much um, just us running around <laughs> and getting our writers together. We reached out to um, a lot of the original contributors we reached out to. And so we had two of them who agreed to contribute to the issue. And we reached out to writers who we thought would be interested in our mission. And so I gave them uh, I think a month and said, are you able to put together uh, a new piece of fiction or nonfiction or poetry for us? And luckily, most of them agreed and uh, we're not uh, frightened by your deadline. And yeah, and it's been lots of new things for me that I've been learning. Um, I've never it's funny because I worked in journalism, so I but I've never been in the position where I'm pitching to all these different media outlets and begging them to cover me and <laughs> my project. So it's fun to be on the other side, actually. That's good. And so, I mean, the launch was just a couple of days ago at the time of the airing. Tell me what it means to be able to bring new forum back from old forum. So I think what it means to bring it back is to be able to provide a voice for writers in Calgary and in Alberta. I think that it's really important to have an outlet where Albertans can express themselves and whether that's about feminist issues or other issues is uh, really important for us to provide that uh, forum. So 
Feminism. Let's talk about that. It's a big elephant in the room. You said just before we started recording that that feminism is still considered a bad word. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think um, for me, when um, I was growing up, there was a lot that confused me. Um, I guess sometimes I was called a tomboy and I didn't really understand that. Um, Why I was being called that name, why certain things about me were, you know, kind of treated with derision by other people. I've always been really outspoken and opinionated, and the way I've been treated for that I, is very different from how I'm treated by men. I, the terms that I hear used to describe myself have always, or that other people use to describe me, has always really confused me. When I went to university and I took women's studies courses, it was kind of like, oh, okay, it all kind of made sense to me. And there's, I learned a lot in women's studies classes about. Um, uh, how other women are impacted by sexism, systematic sexism, so women of color and um, members of the LGBT community. But the thing is, when you when you raise those issues with people even today, they get really defensive. And it feels like they're afraid that you're accusing them of being sexist, when in many cases I'm not. I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, why are you calling me an overachiever? I've never heard you say that about a man. So, and it's... People get really defensive about it. And it's really, for me, it's, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying that there are things in society that we need to work to actively change. And the more people we can engage in the conversation, the better. And certainly when you bring up um, feminism at the dinner table, (laughs) it leads to some discomfort. And I really want to remove that. And I want people to be comfortable and excited when talking about feminism. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, feminism helps everyone. It helps women, it helps men, it helps members of the LGBT community, it helps women of color, it helps people of color, it helps everybody. And so how how will that play out in New Forum? Well, we certainly have um, a feminist lens to our writing. So I think one of the things that we did when we invited our contributors uh, to write something for us was we gave them articles from past issues. And so we said, why don't you pick something that uh, speaks to you and write about it? And what they chose that spoke to them was cultural appropriation and social justice and menopause. And, um, oh, I actually interviewed um, Catherine Ford. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Catherine. I know C- Catherine quite well. So she uh, did an article in an interview in um, 1991 with the original forum. It was a feature on women in journalism. And so I read her back her answers and said, what do you think? (laughs) Has your opinion changed? And uh, for the most part, her opinion hasn't changed. And so it was really great as somebody, as a woman who has a journalism background to uh, chat with her about her experiences. And um, I think it was kind of eye-opening for both of us. I think it was eye-opening for me to learn just how things were for her when she was uh, starting in journalism and I think for her as well, just to hear my experiences and how there's there's still work to be done. So the magazine launched June 22nd. Where can people find it? So we're going to have copies at Loft 112. And um, since there's main public events, you can always pick one up there. It's also going to be for sale online and we're going to be available in select retailers. That's awesome. Again, I had a wonderful conversation with Sylvia Pical editor-in-chief of New Forum magazine. You'll have to check it out. Is there a website that people can go to? Yeah, uh, you can check us out on www.loft112.org, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at New Forum AB. Sylvia, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me.
Next up is On Your Radar. And if you thought June was a busy month, whoa, July gets even crazier. There is so much going on here in Calgary. It gets super bit busy. I guess that's when the uh, the weather gets the best. So, of course, we've got Canada Day, the celebration of our country's birth on July 1st. Uh, looking forward to those festivities. They'll be all over the city. Uh, shortly after that, on July 5th and running to the 14th, is that greatest outdoor show on earth, the Calgary Stampede. Sure to be loads of fun. Uh, we got a great bookend at the end of the month. But in between time, we've also got MexiFest, July 5th to 7th at Eau Claire. We've got the Calgary Turkish Festival from July 12th to July 14th at the Cineplex in Eau Claire. Fiesta Val takes place at Olympic Plaza on July 19th to 21st. The Calgary Arab Festival, July 27th and 28th at Olympic Plaza. And we can't forget... We've got the Calgary Folk Music Festival from July 25th to 28th. Get out your tarps and be prepared to have a good time. One other thing that I want you to keep on your radar, because it will be coming up, there's going to be public consultations on a plan for a proposed airport transit route. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. You'll be able to find some reporting on that at livewirecalgary.com. But in the meantime... Enjoy your July, enjoy the weather, and most importantly, have some fun. There was a couple of hot-button items at City Hall this month, including a package of cash and cuts to help mitigate massive tax increases on the city's small businesses. It opens up a big debate on where to cut. And while I think something needed to be done to help Calgary's business community, I'm not fully sold on whether councillors realize what they were suggesting and the impact that it might have on services or the effect politically. But before we get there, let's start here. The Idaho Stop. Do you know what it is? It's a situation where cyclists can treat stop signs like yield signs, when it's safe to do so, of course. This item was pitched by councillor Giancarlo Carra as a means to make it easier for cyclists to get around without having to be stopped by the stop signs. The measure was ultimately defeated in council. And I'm glad it was, too. Before y'all start jumping down my throat, I am a proponent of cycling. I've written countless stories on the topic. But I'm also in favor of safety. Yes, the intent of the stop is to be safe. But I recently saw one of these stops executed in an intersection. It wasn't safe. And it wasn't the right time to do it. There were cars, and cars were there. This cyclist could have been hit. I actually held my breath, hoping that this person wasn't going to be hit. And that's the fear. That's a fear for a lot of people. The fear is cyclists will just take it as a blanket rule and drift through intersections believing that they have the right of way. Because it's essentially a yield to them. If they feel inconvenienced by a stop sign, so be it. Drivers are inconvenienced by the same thing. I think councillors made the right decision on this one. But all right. Now, let's talk about the cuts at City Hall. We've got $60 million to cut. Let's start there. And it came about as a result of a $130.9 million package that city councillors put together. $70.9 million from the city's fiscal stability reserve and uh, $60 million in cuts. So there, there we have it. This is to essentially give Calgary business owners a 10% tax cut. 
So it sounds like 60 million, but that's what needs to be taken out of a budget that's already six months old. So while the numbers don't exactly translate this way, it is like having to find the equivalent of $120 million in cuts that would have been borne out over the course of a full year. So while people think that it's $60 million out of what would be a year-long budget, it's not. It's $60 million by the end of this budget year. And that's what makes it a challenge. We've got to find $60 million that needs to be cut out of the budget over stuff that's happening before the end of this year. So when you say $60 million, that sounds a heck of a lot more palatable. But when that $60 million in cuts actually looks like $120 million, people are going to see it. That's where we're at now. And we're starting to see councillors start to gird their defenses, kind of stake their claim to what they want to protect. It's something that Mayor Nenshi warned about in the debate. He said, look, folks, we don't have time to be, you know, thorough and thoughtful about these cuts. We're just going to have to accept the package of cuts and that he would appreciate people not staking their claim and, 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 and sticking their heels in the dirt saying this needs to be protected. But the bottom line is someone's going to get hurt. We're talking about fears of cutting the mental health programs that the city uh, initiated, police budgets, wage rollbacks. They're talking about what it means for the city. And yeah, it means a lot. Like I said, someone is going to get hurt from this. No one wants to be on the hook for that either. And that's where we start to get into this political gamesmanship. Everybody wants to be the hero, and everybody wants to jump to the aid of Calgary businesses. I believe that motion to do this was unanimously approved. But no one wants to tick people off when we're starting to think about potential 2021 election runs. No one wants to be that bad guy. No one wants to be the one who is cutting the police budget and having crime go up. No one wants to be an advocate for cutting mental health programs when we're in, you know, this scourge of, of methamphetamine and, and fentanyl issues and, and some of the, the mental health and drug issues that are going on in the city. No one wants to be that person who pitches the 5% wage rollback for city workers. No one wants to be the one who cuts city road clearing or street sweeping or those sorts of thing because it's politically unpalatable you're on the record as a person who has done that and all of a sudden you are unelectable your opponents will use that against you and so now we're trying to find scapegoats one in particular is the city's Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund. That's $100 million that was to be used to help attract and aid businesses in coming to Calgary. Great. Easy place to cut. Few people get hurt. It's just a slush fund, people say. Perhaps. And most recently, the city decided it was going to shut down Richmond Greens. The first of what could be many city-owned golf courses shut down because they're big money losers. Sure, they'll cut the golf courses, they'll cut access to recreation in Calgary, probably, you know, there'll be some outspoken people, but in reality, when you take a look at the numbers, it's the obscene amount of money they're paying unionized workers to essentially mow the grass and rake the traps. Diane Collier-Cart 
tweeted out a graphic during the Monday debate where they did sh- uh, ultimately decide to shut down Richmond Greens. And it was a graphic showing the city rate for certain positions, like a, a, a golf course attendant, uh, uh, somebody who oversees the grounds. Um, and, and it showed the comparison versus the city of Calgary rate and the private rate. And some of them were half. The private rates were half of what the city pays for those equivalent golf course positions. So instead of addressing the real problem, which is unionized wages for these unions, we cut off the entire course. It looks like a responsible business decision. We're cutting those operating costs that we need to get to. But to me, it's like cutting off your arm because you have a hangnail. While it may not be that easy, I totally get that. I think what it should spell out to citizens is that councillors are interested in making simple surface decisions without addressing the root cause of the problem. If you apply that to the city's tax problem, which got us into this fray to begin with, you start to see that pattern of political preservation over responsible governance. Let's hope that changes now that the proverbial doo-doo is about to hit the fan. I'm here with James Radke. He is the Midway Manager for the Calgary Stampede. James, I wanted to talk to you a little bit uh, about some of the food. Food has become a big thing at the Calgary Stampede. Every year we seem to get, you know, wilder and wackier and, and, and crazy foods. If you can kind of take me back to to the point in time where the Calgary Stampede made the decision that hey, we're going to put food and food choices on the map here. Um, like, what went into that decision-making process? I think we worked, uh, coincided with sort of pop culture, really. It was the start of food television and food network and the foodies movement and people really being interested in food that really changed everything for us. I mean, you can look back, uh, and, you know, 90 years ago, we've had the same food for all those years. And it's only been the last 8 to 10 years where we've really started to look at food very, very differently, where our food comes from, how we combine foods, how we fuse foods together with different cultures, and where our food comes from. And, and, and society-wise, what are we eating, right? What's, what's trending right now? So we, we slowly started small, and, you know, I can remember, you know, um, deep-fried Coke coming around <laughs> a long time ago, right, and everybody was shocked with that. It didn't really taste good, but it was just the idea of fusing two different things, which was funnel cake batter and Coca-Cola product, fusing those two together to create something new and unique. And that's exactly what we do now is we, we spend so much time just what are people interested in, where are people getting their food from, what are they eating, what do they want to eat, and what do they not want to eat. Right, so so tell me about that process. I mean, because I think a lot of people are interested, um, for those for those in the media, I mean, with it, this is an annual sort of tradition for us to see some of the foods that are out there, but for the average person, they just see those things pop up, and they go, oh, wow, look at the crazy wild foods that the Calgary Stampede has. Kind of give me the a little bit behind the process to to how you come up with some of these new ideas? Well, we work very hard and, and collaborate with our, 
our food vendors. Our food vendors come to us from all over North America, from California and Arizona and Florida to Toronto and Vancouver. They come to us from all over. So they actually get to see things that we don't necessarily see. So we have to work super close with them. It's a big collaboration. Um, you know what? The Internet is actually really... Instagram and Twitter are really, really great at capturing foods from all over the world as well. We have to look towards Japan uh, for influence. We have to look towards Europe for in- influence because they're always two to three years ahead of us, uh, ahead of North America. So we have to look to that as well. Our vendors get to travel all over different fairs, different festivals all over North America. So they see also what's popular um, you know, somebody that's at Coachella might have invented something new and unique and different that, you know, can translate up into Canada and Calgary. So we, we work very hard, um, whether that vendor brings the idea to us and says, hey, we've got this idea, we're going to do this, and we give them the thumbs up, or, or we find an idea of something that's really super cool, and we think that that could drive um, an emotional response in people we will find the right vendor to, to help us bring that to light. Do you, do you pre-test any of these foods just to make sure, you know, like, like it, is, is, there a, is there a test panel that it goes out to? Ah, yeah, this would be a good stampede food. Maybe this wouldn't be a good one. Or do you kind of trust the vendors who bring you the ideas or, or the things that you see? How does that work? Well, we have to trust a lot of what the vendor can do. Yes, the, the vendors have test kitchens. Um, we, the Calgary Stampede, with some of our partners, we also have test kitchens. So we can test out product. Number one, the product it still has to taste good, right? It, it can be new and unique and different, but if it doesn't taste good, that's not cool. So it still has to taste very good. Um, luckily, we, have, um, we meet with all of our vendors at our annual convention in November, so we get to um, vet a lot of these ideas in November for the, in the previous year. Uh, so we get to understand what they want to do, how they want to do it, what's it going to look like, that kind of thing. And then they'll spend the winter sort of designing their menus, planning their menus. How are they actually going to do this? How do they create, you know, the process? We don't, ultimately don't want to, you know, uh, interrupt their, their, their process in their trailer. So they have to figure out how they're going to actually bring this item or this food idea to, to, to life. And so we've got this whole list of foods. I mean, they, they, get, they get crazier, they get wilder every year. Um, is, is there one in particular, maybe over the course of the past eight to 10 years, that has really stood out as being overwhelmingly popular uh, among the people who, who participated at the Calgary Stampede? Yes, the, the number one, the food that really started everything for us was cricket pizza. That was the one food that, that, that was the starting point, the jumping off point for everybody and everything all over North America with Cricket Pizza. We were the first ones and we started it. Um, that was simply because a vendor was saying, hey, James, how do, I, how do I increase my sales, right? How do I drive more traffic to my booth, right? And that was about the time, you know, Fear Factor was big on television, right? And so, you know, how do we take, you know, a sustainable food source that's 
all over the world, but not necessarily in North America, which is crickets. Um, you know, how do we how do we combine that with a, a traditional item like pizza to to challenge people's taste buds? Interesting. And so over the course of the years, is there one that maybe you like a little bit more than some of the others? Is, is there one that really suits your palate, James? I am uh, <laughs> I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to my fair food, and I, I don't really go towards the sweets. I'm more savory, and I'm always the bratwurst on a bun guy with loaded with sauerkraut. That's my... That's my choice, my tradition that I have to have every year. I mean, a lot of people, it's the mini donuts or the cotton candy or the, um, the colossal onion, right? Everybody's taste buds are challenging, and we try to create a menu to cater to everybody. So, again, I'm here with James Radke, a Midway manager with the Calgary Stampede. James, is there one particular food that's on this year's menu that you guys are really excited about? I think I get really excited about foods that fuse two different genres of food. Um, so the traditional food versus, you know, another traditional food. So I'm really excited about the funnel cake pizza. So the traditional funnel cake with, you know, powdered sugar and syrup on it that has been around for hundreds of years, and how do we fuse it with uh, a pizza? So that that combination of two different genres of food, sweet and savory, putting them together to create a funnel cake pizza, that is really, really interesting to me. That's cool. Uh, James, you know what? I know a lot of people... They probably anticipate the the new foods every year. Some are willing to try them, some are not. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to figure out how this has all come about. I want to thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Come down and eat your face off. (laughs) That sounds good. Maybe I will. Thanks very much, James. Take care. All right, we're running out of time here this month. I'd like to thank you for listening, but I'd also like to thank Sylvia Pical of New Forum Magazine and James Radke from the Calgary Stampede. We'll talk to you next month.